Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. I would say I'm excited about this message uh, this weekend in this series that we're starting, but I have to be honest, I've wrestled with this a little bit. Uh, It's been a little bit of a challenge because I I realize that a lot of you probably were going to be in church anyway uh, today or tune in for this service anyway today. But last week in our Easter services, we actually ran a a promotion for this week's series that will be this week and next week. It's a two-week series. We ran a promotion for it, and in the promotion it showed, you know, people through the decades kind of all just going through mundane life, you know, just the routine of life, and, and then it kind of ended with just like, what's the point? What's the point of life? And so we said, come next week and find out what's the point of life, which sounds like a good idea, until you start preparing the message where you got to tell everybody what the point of life is in 30 minutes. That's not easy to do. Now we spread out two weeks, so we got a couple messages, but I started feeling the weight of that, uh, of that assignment, right? I mean, I got to tell everybody, what's the point of it all? Uh, and so pray with me uh, as we try to dive into this, and uh, I think we're going to get there, uh, and I think God wants to speak to us today. Philippians chapter 1, before we pray, we'll read this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, 11, it would kind of be probably the theme verse for this uh, series and for these thoughts that we'll have. Um, Philippians chapter one, verses 10 and 11. It says, for I want you to understand what really matters. And that's kind of the whole thing. That's what Paul's saying. I want you to understand what the point is. I want you to understand what really matters. I want you to get it. I want you to understand the purpose of life, the meaning of life. Paul says, I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Look at this. When we understand what really matters, it will affect the way we live. It'll affect the decisions that we make. It'll affect the way we treat somebody. It'll affect the way we talk. He says, I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. Here we go. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. I want you to understand what really matters, for this will bring much glory to God. I want you to understand what really matters, I want you to understand what the point is, because that will bring glory to God. I'm a title, I guess, of this single message in this series would be this, bring much glory. Bring much glory. Now, I want you to pray with me, and I want you, I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, pray something specific. I want everybody to, if you would, can we just pray that the glory of God fills uh, this moment? We, I'm, I'm serious. Will you pray that? That's not too bold of a prayer for us to pray. Let's, let's pray that. Come on across all of our campuses, there in the youth auditorium, there in the atrium, at home. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we just link our faith together right now as one church. And we just boldly pray that your glory would be pronounced in our environment right now. That your glory would be realized in our environment right now. God, fill our lives with your glory. Fill our hearts 
with your glory. God, fill these rooms right now with your glory. That's what we cry out for collectively as one body, as one voice, God. We pray, God, a fresh anointing on this word because we need you. We need you to speak to us. We're ready to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Well, get used to that amen. We'll let you say amen all throughout the message today. Come on, practice one more time. Just say amen. 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 It'll be great. Um, I was thinking about, you know, kind of this point, the point of why we're here, kind of the purpose of why we're created. And I started thinking about all the times in my life that I have used an item for something other than its intended purpose, something I've used for a purpose that's other than what it was created for. I began to think about the times that I needed to tighten up a little screw, and it was a little flathead screw that I needed to tighten, and I didn't have a screwdriver at the time, and so I reached in my pocket and grabbed a dime. Anybody ever used a coin to tighten a screw? That's not what a coin was created for, but yet there we are using it for its unintended purpose just to get the job done. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. I got to admit, growing up, uh, some of my life, I grew up in a single parent home and uh, it was just my mom and m- me and my sister for several seasons of my life. And um, uh, I got to admit, my mom did not have a big, vast tool uh, toolbox with a bunch of different tools in it. And so sometimes we would just have to be getting by. And I can remember needing to put a little nail in the wall to hang a picture up on a wall, maybe somewhere that we had maybe just moved into or something like that. And we didn't have a hammer to nail the to nail the nail into the wall. And so I can remember grabbing a shoe. Anybody ever used a shoe to drive a nail into a wall? It seems like a shoe can find your thumb even faster than a nail, uh, than a hammer can. Uh, but I can remember using a shoe to try to drive it. And that's not what shoes were intended. That's not why they were created. But sometimes you do it. Um, I have to admit, this one, uh, I've actually used, um, well, here's the problem. Sometimes in my yard, I have uh, some armadillos that like to gather and wreak havoc in my yard. I'm not sure why armadillos were created. I'm not sure what their purpose is. If you know, you don't even have to tell me because I don't even really care. I just know I don't really like them because they get and they start nuzzling around and move all my mulch around and dig holes in my yard on the weaker patches of the grass. And, uh, and so when I catch one out there, um, now I don't go grabbing it because they gross me out. I don't know. I just don't know what they would do. So I don't go close to them, but I have to admit there's been once or twice where I've caught one in the yard. And here's the thing. I just want to jar it enough that it just thinks when I'm picking yards, I'm not going to choose that one anymore. That's what I want him to think. Last time I was in that yard, something happened. That's what I want him to think. I'm not sure if they can process like that, but I'm giving it a shot. So when I've caught one in my yard, I've gone in my garage looking for something that I can use for its unintended purpose because I do not have an armadillo repellent in my garage, but I got other things. So I grabbed a basketball one time. A basketball was made to play basketball, but I've used that basketball a time or two to repel uh, an armadillo, and I've just kind of tossed it his way and just kind of hit him, not enough to hurt him or kill him, thus you think less of me. That's not what's going on here. It's just I'll toss it him, at him uh, like we're playing catch. He doesn't know we're playing catch, but still, like we're playing catch. And I'll tell you this, armadillos can jump high. I did not know it, but this dude jumped about four feet straight up in the air, landed, and then he took off for somebody else's yard. 
I was high-fiving myself. All right, we did it. Uh, that's not what a basketball was created for, but hey, we made it work. Uh, I bet some of you have done this. When you got a bug crawling around, maybe you see it in your house, a bug crawling around, and you start looking around, and you ain't got no bug spray. Some of y'all just grab whatever aerosol can you need to grab to kill a bug. Anybody ever done that? You're spraying hairspray on a bug. He thinks he's at the salon, and you're chasing him. With hairspray, he just starts walking slower and slower as the hairspray. He probably doesn't die. He's just probably more like frozen in hairspray. Um, whatever you got to do. And then this is probably the one that beats all of them. And I'm sure all of us. Let me just do a little poll. How many in the room have ever used duct tape for any purpose at all? Just raise your hand across all the campuses. If you use duct tape, raise your hand. All right, a lot of you, a lot of you. Now let me ask it this way. How many of you have used duct tape to tape an actual duct? Let me see your hands. That's, what I, that's exactly what I thought. I mean, hardly anybody has ever used duct tape for its intended purpose. Oh, we've used it for all kinds of other stuff. We've used it to hold our bumper back on our car. I mean, we've used it to repair the luggage. We've used it to make stuff. Like, we've used it for all kinds of things but hardly ever for its intended purpose. Now, the reason why we dive into all that is because I would guess that probably not enough of us have thought often enough about what our intended purpose is, about what I was created for. I don't know when is the last time you thought about what were you created for? I mean, what was your true purpose in life, what really matters? Like, what is the most important thing? And if I guess if we took a poll and we said, hey, what is it? What's the most important thing? Because Paul said, I want you to understand what's important. So if we took a poll and said, what's, what's the most important thing? Like, why were we created? Why, what's our purpose? I think some of the answers that we might get would be this. Somebody might say, well, love. It was, it was created so that we could find love. Maybe it was wealth. I'm here to, to get wealthy. Maybe it's happiness. I'm created to find happiness. Uh, maybe self-development's the most important thing. It's just for me to grow. Maybe it's wisdom. Maybe somebody would say influence. Maybe somebody might say service. And listen, while some of these things even find their root in Scripture, so it's not that these are all wrong answers. They're not wrong answers. But here's the thing. I know exactly specifically why you were created. And I have good news. I'm going to tell you what it is. Before I tell you, I want everybody to understand this because I feel like somebody under the sound of my voice today in this message has felt this. You are not an accident. You were not created in randomness. You were not created just out of some sort of cosmic whatever. Listen, there was a purpose that you were created for. There was something that was intended when God made you, and I know what it was. Isaiah actually talks about it so clear. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7. This is what the Word of God says. I will say to the north, this is God speaking, I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God. I know I'm talking to some people who claim God as their God. He says, bring all who claim me as their God. Here it is. For I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. 
God's taking credit for creating you and God is letting the cat out of the bag. I created them for my glory. That's why you were made, for the glory of God. And I get it, man, that that's a little bit of an abstract concept. I get it that we could just go, hey, just glorify God. Everybody's like, okay, but how? Like, what's that look like? Like, what, what do I do? I, I get it that that's a little bit of a, a heavy concept for us to, to, to grab a hold of, but it's this overarching, this overreaching concept that affects every aspect of our life. This thought of glorifying God, that this is why I was created to glorify God, it starts to have an effect on every single practicality of my life. When I understand that I'm created to glorify God, then every practical thing I do finds root in that. It's the glory of God where worship finds its root. Like we were just worshiping God in this service. And listen, that is coming from a root of to glorify God. And so that's why we worship. Uh, the ministry of the word finds its root in glorifying God. Even what we're doing in this moment. As we look to the scripture and say God speak to us. It's finding its root in this thought of bringing glory to God. Understanding the glory of God. Even global missions finds its root in glorifying God. We just received a missions offering that helps support missionaries all over the world. Uh, to, to, to reach people who would otherwise not hear the gospel. It's found in this root of glorifying God. Even acts of justice rooted in glorifying God. Sacrifices that we make in our families and in our marriages rooted in the glory of God. Even the routines of mundane daily work, it's rooted in the glory of God. See, when you understand the glory of God, it'll change even the way you act, yes, in church, but it'll change the way you act at work. When you understand I'm here to glorify God, man, it'll change the way you treat your boss. It'll change the way you treat your coworkers. It'll change the way you, you go to school and treat your teachers. It'll change everything when you understand that our life is rooted with this purpose. We were created to glorify God, to bring God glory, to understand the glory of God. So we're gonna look at two passages that are parallel passages, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. And you'll see how these two passages parallel with one another. And we'll spend kind of the remaining few minutes that we have in these two passages of Scripture. Exodus 34 is one. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can go there. Exodus 34, it will be on the screen as well. And then also 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Exodus 34 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3. All right, here we go. Exodus 34 is what the Word of God says. It says, when Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he's bringing down the Ten Commandments, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Here's this glory of God. Moses had, had such a direct relationship with God that now he's coming down the mountain and not even realizing that the glory of God is obvious to everybody that he comes into contact with. Just keep that in mind as this Old Testament example. When Moses, when Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But when he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. And then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned 
to speak to the Lord. And so there's that Old Testament example. We're going to read a parallel uh, verse in 2 Corinthians 3. But here's this Old Testament example of Moses going up and having these moments with God, some of which included God's, Moses saying, God, show me your glory. I want to I see your glory. So he's having these moments, these face-to-face encounters with, with God, and he comes down and his face is radiant with the glory of God. He puts a veil over his face as he's talking to people, but he would take the veil off his face when he would talk to God. And we'll see some as to what was going on with the veil as we look at 2 Corinthians 3, this parallel verse. Verse 12, we're going to read 12, verse 12, verse 13, verses 16 through 18. It says, since this new way gives us such confidence, other versions say, since this new way gives us boldness, what new way uh, is Paul talking about? If you read up a little bit, which we don't have time to go through that whole chapter, but up above a little bit, he's talking about the glory of God. That's what he's talking about, that we're living in this new era of the glory of God through Christ. And he says, since we have this new way, it gives us such hope or such confidence, we can be very bold. He said, we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. No, he says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And I love this. He says, when someone comes to the Lord, The veil is taken away, for the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us, all of us, this is not a reserved for certain Christians or certain levels of spirituality. He says all of us who have had that veil removed can see the glory of God. All of us who have had that veil removed can reflect the glory of God. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. See, when we talk about the glory of God, I think some of us have gotten in the trap of thinking it's about behavior. And we start thinking that if I do this and if I do that, then I'll glorify God. And if I don't do this and if I don't do that, I'll glorify God. And if I act this way, I'll glorify God. But if I act this way, I won't glorify God. And if I say this to somebody, I'll be glorifying God. But if I say this to somebody, it won't be glorifying God. And we have it in our mind as this pattern of behavior. But listen, according to this, the glory of God is not about behavior. It's about beholding. The glory of God is about me being so close to God that it just starts to radiate off of my life. It starts to reflect off of my life. We're actually called, as we talk about being created for the glory of God, we're actually called to reflect the glory of God. That we would be so leaned into who God is. It's really the number one goal. It's the number one purpose of our life. That's the bold hope that we have that in this thing called the glory of God, which, which we'll explain a little bit because it's tougher as we go, I come, okay, I want to reflect the glory of God. That's awesome. But what is the glory of God? Well, when Paul, when Paul talks about the glory of God in 2 Corinthians 3, he's actually, uh, his idea of glory is actually coming from an Old Testament word Of course, New Testament is in Greek, and and there's a word for glory, but that word is being translated out of an Old Testament word for glory. It's the word that is used for glory in Exodus 33 and Exodus 34, this parallel verses that we read and talked about. It's a word that means, that's called this uh, in the Hebrew. It's called kabod. 
kabod. And uh, it's the word that gets translated glory. And if you were talking about kabod and you were talking about people, because you could use that thought, that concept to describe people. And if you were doing that, here's what it would mean. If I was talking about a person's kabod, um, it, would mean, it would be more like this. It would be their portable possessions. It would be their standing or their status. It would be their level of importance, their prestige, their notability. Maybe their inner strength would be considered a uh, kabod. Um, it'd be like, the, it'd be, be, be how much respect they kind of demand from other people. Uh, that would be kabod when it talks about people. So we can make that transition and kind of look at some of that with God, but let me specifically talk about what kabod means when it would be, re, be referring to God in his glory. It would include this, it would include his heaviness which I think is what I was feeling as we were even looking into this message. I think I was feeling the weight of the glory of God. To talk about the glory of God is a uh, precarious assignment. It's, it's something that I, you feel the weight of because it's hard to put into terms exactly what the glory of God is. And so when Paul is talking about this glory that we're reflecting, he's saying that this is a heavy thing. This is something worthy of our pursuit. This is something worthy of our understanding. It has to do with his heaviness. It has to do with God's riches, God's reputation, God's importance, God's splendor. I like this. It has to do with God's distinction. The fact that God is not like anything else in our life. When we truly know God, when you truly, like the closer you get to God, the more you realize there ain't nothing that compares to God. I mean, if you just dabble in the things of God, you can make the mistake of thinking something might compare. But I'm telling you, when you get up in the glory of God, you realize that you don't need anything else, that his glory is enough. Matter of fact, one writer said it this way. He said, he who has God and everything else has just as much as he who has God only. In other words, man, God is everything. When we understand that the distinction of God, that there's nothing that compares to him, it has to do with his distinction. It has to do with his honor. The glory of God has to do with his abundance, which I love to think about that Jesus said, I came to give you life more abundant, more glorious, more filled with the glory of God. Really the glory of God, if, the, if I could just word it the simplest way that I would ever know how to word it, it would be this. It would be God's best. I mean the very best of God. And here's the thing about the, the best of God. Once you experience God's best, oh, it's very easy to see God as the best thing in your life. When you don't really, fall, when you're not really flowing in God's best, then sometimes it's difficult to see God as the best thing in your life. But when you really understand and get into the realm that's his best, that's what you were created for. And that's really, when I say you were created for it, here's what I mean. You were created with this longing within you to find that which we just talked about. You were created with this longing within you to find that glory, to recognize that glory, and to reflect even that glory. Now, uh, I have here on the stage, I don't know if any of you saw it and wondered why I have a ball. I don't know if you thought maybe there were going to be some armadillo up here and we're going to have to take care of them. That's not what this is about. This is actually a little, uh, a little moon, a little model of the moon. And... Um, 
I'm not sure if it's exact. I think it's pretty close to what the moon really looks like. It's, of course, smaller than the real moon. Uh, but I got this from Pastor Jason, uh, our campus pastor at the Redbug campus. And so, um, but the cool thing about the moon, there's a, there's a lot of cool things about the moon. One of them is this. Uh, it's 250,000 miles away, first of all. And so um, if, they look, if they built a highway, let's say, uh, to the moon and you could drive there, it would take you 130 days by car to drive to the moon. It's, that's how far it is, 250,000 miles away. The moon does some stuff for us uh, here on our planet. Um, of course, the moon travels around the earth. And so most of us understand that the moon helps us measure our time, measure our months by the passing of the moon around the earth. And so uh, that's one of the cool things that this uh, moon does for us is it helps us measure time. Also this moon, uh, the gravitational pull of the moon actually affects the tides. And so it, it kind of it brings a high tide and brings low tide, tells the waters how far to come and, and when to recede. And, uh, and so the, the gravitational pull of the moon is doing that as well. So the moon does some cool things, but let me break a misconception about one of the things that we think the moon does. Here's something the moon does not do. The moon does not shine. The moon does not generate light. And right now, some of you are thinking, Pastor, I disagree because I remember that song about being under the moonlight. And sometimes when I'm walking with my wife and we're out on a walk and the moon is full and bright, oh, it's so, it's so romantic there, under the moonlight. But here's the thing, there's no such thing as moonlight. You know what? All there is is sunlight. And when the moon is up there in the sky, it is close enough to the sun, it is in relationship enough with the sun that it just reflects the light of the sun. That's what its intended purpose is for us. It's reflecting the light of the sun. Paul says we with unveiled faces, we reflect the glory of God. I think Paul's warning us because sometimes we can start to thinking that we actually have something to offer in of ourselves. Sometimes we can start to thinking, well, I mean, I'm created for greatness because I got all these gifts and I got all these things that I can do. I got all these talents. I can make such a difference. I mean, when I walk into the room, people say, I just light up the room. Listen, if you light up the room, it's not you that's lighting up the room. I'm telling you, it's the fact that you may have tapped in to reflecting the glory of God, which was what you were created for. We're created to be close enough to God, to understand who he is, to dive deep enough within him that we would reflect the glory of God. Oh, what a difference that makes in ministry. What a difference that makes in our lives. What a difference that makes in every aspect. of When we understand what it means to recognize the glory of God and reflect the glory of God, it'll change everything. His glory becomes the reward of our life. If we think about like a reward, like the gospels are filled with reward. Sometimes we think it's wrong of us to think about the reward of, of going after God. But the glory of God, it's not even a secondary transaction. It's not that we seek God and then that transaction is over and then we get his glory on a different transaction. It's not even like that. I guess it would be like this, like 
let's say somebody lost their dog and they put up signs in the neighborhood and it says, lost, we lost Sparky, help us find Sparky. It's got a little picture of Sparky and sometimes people will put right there with a $500 reward, right? And so then if I find Sparky and I go to that address and I go, here's Sparky, I give them the dog, that's the first part of the transaction and then I'm expecting them to continue with the second part, which personally, I would get it and I'd be like, keep the 500 because I know I love Sparky too. Like you just deserve him. I wouldn't even take it. But anyway, we understand, right? Well, with God and his glory, the way his glory is a reward for seeking him is not like that. It's kind of more like this. Be like somebody posted something in the neighborhood that said this, lost a bag of cash, lost $2,000 in a bag. If found, keep it. That's your reward. I could go after that. Like, I'm down with that. It's like all in one transaction. And that's what it's more like when we seek after God, when we hunger for God. We're created for that. And in one sense, everyone is on a God search. Even the most furthest, uh, furthest gone lost atheist that you've ever known, guess what? Somewhere inside there, he's on a God search. Now, he's, he's confused, and, and they may be calling it something else, but because we're just wired for this. And there's a misconception in Christianity, and I want you to hear me on this. Because as we think about all the sins that we find ourselves stumbling into, we start to think it's our desires that take us out. We start to think, well, you know, it's because I was desiring pleasure. I was desiring excitement. I was desiring enjoyment. I was trying to enjoy myself. And, and so I fell into this sin and I fell into that trap because I was looking for excitement, because I was looking for pleasure. And I shouldn't desire pleasure because it got me into trouble. I think that's a little bit upside down. C.S. Lewis kind of, in some of his writings, he kind of said it this way, that he thinks when it comes to our desire for pleasure, that God would not say that we are desiring too much. God would actually say we're desiring too little. We're desiring too little pleasure and settling for counterfeit. We're settling for mere lust. Settling for mere pleasures of this world. Drink, substance, money. Stat, we're settling for these things because that's the only level of pleasure that we're desiring. And, 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 and God would say, no, no, I have pleasure that's so far beyond that. I want you to desire more excitement in your life. I want you to desire more pleasure in your life. I want you to desire more fulfillment in your life than those things can bring. It's kind of like a, a little kid. This has happened to me before in my life. I'm sure a lot of us parents have been that way. You get your kids something for Christmas. For, and you, you, you sacrifice to do it. Maybe it's a little bit more than you can even afford to get them. And it's something in a big box. And so they unwrap it. And there it is. And you cut the box open. And you pull out the toy. And you're like, boom, here it is. Look at this. It's what we got you for Christmas. And the child takes one look at that. Looks back over at that cardboard box. And jumps in the cardboard box. And starts playing with that. And putting the lid over. And come find me. Whatever. Spends the next four days playing with the box. And you're out here going, no, 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 no. This this is, what, this is what I got you. This is what is going on right now. And then this person's over here settling for a mere box. And you're going, can't you desire something better than that? I feel like God's that way with us sometimes. Saying, get your desires up. Get your hunger to a different level. Quit settling for counterfeit excitement, counterfeit pleasure. Nexus 33 
It's the chapter before the one we read about Moses coming down from the mountain, but that's where Moses said, God, show me your glory. God says, well, I'll, I'll hide you and I'll pass by and you can see me as I pass by, but you can't look at my face. Because of the dispensation of the Old Testament, God would move on man, but there wasn't enough of God in man to be able to handle that kind of glory. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, now we have, we all have access to the presence of God. Moses would climb up that mountain by himself, meet with God, come down, and then tell people what God said. No, but now we have access to the Holy of Holies ourselves. We have access to the glory of God ourselves. And here's the thing, Moses' glory was a fading glory. A lot of scholars believe he wore the veil not because the people didn't want to see the glory, that he wore the veil because he didn't want the people to see that the glory was fading. But Paul, when he's comparing it, he says, oh, no, 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 our glory is not fading. Second Corinthians 3, Paul said, actually, our glory is increasing. It's ever increasing. We're actually becoming more and more like God all the time. We got he says, that's why we got nothing to hide. We take the veil off. That's what it's about. We're just, we're just constantly getting more and more glorious as we get closer and closer to God. Now, here's um, what I'll end with today. When somebody comes to my door, maybe a door-to-door salesman, and look, I, I got nothing against it. Hustle. Get, if you, that's what you, good, you do and you're good at it, go for it. I got nothing against it. I'm just being honest. My own personal approach when someone knocks at the door and I see that that's what's going on, I have to be honest. It is met with a little bit of resistance in my own heart. I just got to be honest, all right? I come into a little bit skeptic. I come into it uh, at best, a little bit uninterested. At worst, I might come into it a little bit annoyed. All right, pray for me. I'm just saying, I'm sorry. But I'm opening up the door and they're, they're giving their spiel. And I got it loaded up. I'm ready to be with, I'm ready with my, uh, I'm not interested. Thank you, I'm not interested. I smile, I say it nice, but I'm, it's loaded up. And sometimes the good salesmen, they can see that it's in my holster, that I'm ready to just be like, oh, thank you, but I'm not interested. And so they won't even let me talk. You know, they'll, just, they'll just keep going, not give a gap for me to say I'm not interested because they'll see it coming. And that's kind of how a lot of us are with, some of our interactions, right? We just go into it kind of skeptic and maybe uninterested, maybe even a little bit annoyed. And as I think about that being my kind of predisposition, uh, I start thinking about in the Gospels when I read that Jesus, 13 times in the Gospel, he said this simple phrase. He would look at people, called many of the uh, the disciples this way, he would look at him, he would just say this, follow me. And it worked. Can you imagine if somebody came to your door, said, hey, follow me, come on, let's go. You'd be like, who, who are you, first of all, and where are we going? Like, it wouldn't work. Why did this, why was this the most effective, persuasive speech of all time, and it was just so short in two words? That'll make you think. He just would walk in and say, follow me. And they'd be like, all right. Not only would they follow, they knew it wasn't a temporary thing. They're leaving everything. I'm talking about leaving their, their, their occupation, leaving their resources, sometimes leaving their family members and other relationships, leaving their past, and they're just going. Like, what would make somebody respond to such a simple call? Here's the answer. John gives it. Look what John... 
John was one of those that Jesus looked at him and said, follow me. And he said, okay, I will, I'm in. And this is what John said about it. John said, and the word of God became flesh, talking about Jesus. And he dwelt among us. And look at it. And we saw his glory. Mm. I mean, when the people looked at the face of Christ, it was something different. There was a radiate going on. And it just caused them to go, yes, I'll leave whatever I got to leave. And if my version of Christianity doesn't feel a little bit like that, I got to do something different. Because that's what I was created for. That kind of depth of glory. And I'll never reflect his glory if I'm not close enough to recognize his glory. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.